Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being with me here today. I'm so excited to spend this time with you as we talk about what your story tells the world. What does your story tell the world? What are you saying with the things that you do, with the person that you are, with how you show up in the world? What does your story tell the world? For those of you, this is your first time listening in. My name is Steve Kidd. I am a third generation minister, an international best-selling author of 22 books and counting. And I love getting the opportunity to help people write, publish, and most importantly, market their books to bestseller. That's right. You can be a bestseller. You can be a bestseller even as soon as next week. I have the system. Um, pretty much anybody that's making people bestsellers is likely using the system I created, and they probably don't even know it. That's my fault. I've been in the shadows for a long time, running the show, but not really talking to you as much about what I do as I probably should have. But I am here to tell you my story, to tell my story to the world, and I'm here to help encourage you to look at what your story tells the world so that you can look at your clouds and rather than seeing, uh, you know, maybe there's a silver lining, you can begin to see that it's silver covered in cotton candy. The life is so full of opportunities that it's so wonderful, so special. There is so much good going on in this world and you are a part of it. And your story, how you present yourself, how you put you out into the world is such a huge part of making this world a better place. I've often said, imagine what it would be like if just for one day, just one day, everybody tried to be the best version of themselves just for that one day. What kind of a world could we have? How much of a difference would it make in this world? If people just for that one day were the best version of themselves, what would it do if people took a look at the story that they tell, first of all, themselves, what are those stories running around in all of our heads that we feed into, that we tell ourselves, and then it defines who we are and how we show up in the world rather than a different story that we could tell ourselves. And then secondly, what are the stories that other people have ingrained in you? They've told you for so many years, you're this, you're that, um, you're going to be this, you're going to be that. Um, and we've just bought into it, just taken it as that's what's going to be because somebody else sold us on a story that was never the story that was meant for you. Your story is you meant for greatness. You meant to change the world, to be the you that only you can be, to make the difference that only you can make. And you're the one that has to tell that story. Nobody else is going to show up 
in the world and be you. No one else ever can. Each person is unique as a snowflake. Each person is here intentionally on purpose. I mean, you got to think about it this way. Of all of the entirety of the universe, every single thing came together in the exact moment in time for you to exist. That's how important you were. The entirety of existence existed so that you would exist. And now you have a story to tell, a song to sing, a life to live. And you need to ask yourself, what is your story telling the world? So with that said, let's talk to a couple of really great authors, a couple of really amazing business people. And let's take a look today about what your story is telling the world and about what your story could tell the world here on Thriving Entrepreneur. Join me in welcoming... Karen Padetti. Hey, Karen, how are you doing today? Good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Um, I went to college for accounting and finance, and I worked in a CPA firm and then the Fortune 500 companies, and I realized that I was not happy in my job, and I realized I needed to work for myself. So what kind of work are you doing now for yourself? So currently I own Lux Salon Spa and Laser Center in Rochester, New York. I wrote a book, Rags to Riches, How Beauty Icons Made It Big. And then I took the book and made it into a course, which really is a step-by-step how to start a business and actually run a profitable business. And then I have a uh, BA badass clothing line. I love that. So let's talk a little bit about your book, Rags to Riches, How Beauty Icons Made It Big. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the book, what inspired it, and uh, what people can get out of it. Well, the reason I wrote the book was I used to do consulting for salons and spas around the United States. And I loved the fact that I could help a business take it to the next level. Some were startups, some wanted to hit the million dollar mark. And so I love that. The one thing I always thought was, I wish I could help more people in our industry quicker and faster. Our industry is amazing in the fact that we have really talented people, whether it be hair, nails, eyebrows, in metaspas, or people in um, schools. And they're great at what they do, but then they want to go out on their own and they end up um, basically failing. So we are the second in the beauty beauty industry is the second behind restaurants to fail in the first few years. Um, during the pandemic, 33% of all salons and spas closed and only 1.7% of salons and spas hit the million dollar mark. So it was that I thought, all right, I want to really write a book. And honestly, I knew like if I wrote a book, no one really cared about my what I had to say or my stories. And I wanted it to be really fun and interesting. So I researched different people in the different fields in the beauty industry and I hand selected them and I put a media kit together and sent it to, to them and asked them to be part of a um, like an industry revolution to really change the beauty industry and to make it some 
make it an industry that's much more profitable. And they're all huge. They all have celebrity um, clientels. They have all worked fashion shows. They, they're like the, the big of the big. And so I, each chapter um, is about one individual and they tell about their story, their ups, their downs, their struggles, how they made it, what challenges they had. And then I have an assessment for anybody in the in a business. Um, there's an assessment, you know, and again, each chapter is different. And then what are a few of the things that you need right now to take what your assessment is and that you need to start working on? And then I really just, I go into some of the education behind it, whether it be P&L or leadership or marketing or branding. And that's where it came to be. And as, as I was doing it, I was telling people they wanted more. And that's kind of how the course came to be. So anything I did in my business or I did for um, my clients when I was consulting is basically all in the book. So people can read it, the book. And if they are interested, get the course. And really it's a, a way of like me holding their hands step through step through through their for their business. So what is your favorite part of the book? Um I guess what I loved and that I I wanted, I, I love the stories, how each one of the people in there, you know, they had their struggles. It didn't come easy. They had to learn different things. Um, I like that because they start out just like me and you and everybody else. And um, and I want everyone to know that if you put your, your hard work, dedication, put the right things forward, you can be in the same position as they are. Mm, I love that. Absolutely. So um, for a person who has been thinking about getting in the beauty industry, but they haven't done it yet. What are some of the things that people really should know before they start just jumping into that because they think hair and makeup or other parts of the beauty industry are cool? Uh, make sure it's your passion. Make sure it is definitely something you love to do and you're passionate about. Um, that would be first and foremost, get as much education as possible. The next thing is once you have all your licenses, write out what your goals are. I mean, you know, my goals are different than somebody else's goals. What is your goal and what is your end goal? You know, my end goal was to have a million dollar business, run it so efficiently and effectively. So if I wasn't there for three weeks in a row, it wouldn't crumble. Um, and the people who work for me, they're all hitting, you know, $100,000. So those were my goals, but what is your goal? And then start breaking it down step by step of how you're going to get there. And if you're not good at something, don't, don't try to figure it out and do that part of it. For instance, if you don't know your finances and accounting, you learn enough so you know what's right and wrong, what's good and bad, but hire somebody who who is has that knowledge and who's an expert so don't do what you're exceptional at hire hire people who are um expert in other areas you'll save so much time and so much money you'd be shocked at how many people will go down and go a hundred thousand dollars in debt thinking they can do it all on their own and it's it's shocking to see that 
that people really they'll they'll put everything in and it's like okay stop let's step back and reevaluate and figure out a, a game plan good advice very very good um so for the folks that are in the beauty industry what is the biggest thing that you find that um you know you wish they knew that they don't know that they're they're getting wrong uh, people who enter the beauty industry think, oh, I'm going to get my hair license, nail, aesthetics, whatever it is, and I'm going to go out and make a ton of money. It's not. It's really, you have now the knowledge, but how are you going to handle your business? And it's really truly about um, building relationships and solid relationships with your clients. Now, you don't want to become best friends with them because then you'll, they'll want you to do their hair in their kitchen, but you you want to build relationships with people and that's what people love is the relationships they build so have your skills continue education always um never stop because the day you stop that's what you left and that's where you kind of are stuck and you don't continue to follow new trends and things of that nature So let's be good teachers. Um, you know, they got to take your course and get the book in order to learn everything. But what's one thing that somebody listening to us right now could do to, um, you know, move a little bit from rags to riches, maybe from rags to uh, hand-me-down clothes? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Be hardworking, of course, and diligent. But really, again, write down what your goals. What is your goal that by the end of the year you want to hit? What's the goal for the next year? What's the goal for three years, five years, 10 goals? Write it out. And now, now start taking that goal and breaking it down how you're going to do it. Each day, take steps forward to hit the goal. A lot of people say, I want to do something, but they then do nothing. And you have to be very systematic. And everybody in, in my book was like, okay, I want to hit this amount. I want this many clients. And they were very um, methodical in their thinking. And it was like their job as well as, you know, providing services. It was their job to work on their business every day. Um, and that's the first and foremost. People think they're going to go out and just, you know, get a few clients and then stop. The day you stop recruiting and trying to find new clients will be, you won't notice it that day, but you'll notice it in about three to six months. Absolutely. Great advice. For so somebody who wants to work with you, how can they get in contact with you and how can they work with you? A um, couple ways. My email address is kpudetti, P-U-D-E-T-T-I, at luxspa.com. If they're interested in the book, it's www.iconicriches.com, rags to riches. And the course is iconicriches.com, rags to riches in action. Well, perfect. And of course, the book itself is called Rags to Riches, How Beauty Icons Made It Big. You can get it on Amazon or every place else where books are sold. Karen, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. It's always surprising to me and amazing how much more goes into the success of people in the beauty industry, what it takes to be beautiful, and often what they struggle with 
with as beautiful as they are in accepting that? What is the story the world tells them and what's the story they say to themselves? We're going to let you think about that for a minute while we take a quick commercial break here on Thriving Entrepreneur. Don't go away. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third-generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you... I know the world is waiting on your message, and I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskStevekid.com and schedule a time to talk today. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. We're talking about what does your story tell the world? We were looking at rags to riches about the beauty industry and about the stories that they tell and other people have told them about themselves. Next, we want to talk even more specifically about storytelling and look at how you can be a thriving entrepreneur in your story. Let's do it. Join me in welcoming Anthony Butler. Hey, Anthony, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing well. Great. I'm glad to hear it. So tell us a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. So uh, I am a consultant. I help businesses grow. I've spent a lot of time working with startups and big companies, small companies of all shapes and sizes. And the last probably 10 years, I've really been focused on the marketing side, demand generation. And I have a new book out called Primal Storytelling marketing for humans that's uh it's taken off and it's been a bestseller all around the world love that um tell us a little bit about the book i mean how did it come into existence and and what's the intention of it so the book was based on a huge failure that i had (laughs) uh you know i was coming i was a ceo of a tech company in new york city and after that gig ended, you know, I knew six months out, the company was selling. I, I was a hired CEO. I was going on to my own, my own company. And I, I started this company, Can Do Ideas. It's a, it's a marketing company. And, you know, we did six figures in the first six months, which was amazing. And in the first 18 months, we had 100% retention. You know, so I was thinking I was really smart and that I knew it all. And one day, out of the blue, I get a call from a CEO of this company that I was working with. And he's like, Hey, Tony, um, you know, I really like you guys. Everything's professional. It's like, but it's just not moving the needle. So we're going to let you go. We're going to try something different. And I was absolutely floored because, you know, I had a bunch of clients and we were doing a huge amount of monthly recurring revenue. And this is the first time that anyone had ever had ever left us. You know, it was the first time I'd been fired. And it was such a shock. And, but it wasn't a shock because 
they had fired me necessarily. It was a shock because I didn't know why. And it, it, I started looking at their stats. I'm looking at all the work that we did. And was it professional? Yes. And was it on time? Yes. Was the team doing the same same work we were doing for everyone? Yes. But for this one client, it just didn't work. And I, I, I couldn't put my finger on it at first. And, you know, as you've probably heard that the world is full, there's a graveyard just full of marketing agencies that couldn't get results, right? Um, I mean, that's the death knell. And so I knew I needed to figure out exactly what it was that was getting results with one client, but with this client just failed. And, you know, it, it didn't come to me right away. I, I spent months and months just thinking about it and looking and trying to figure it out. And one day I went down to a, a business seminar with this guy, Darren Hardy. I don't know if you ever heard of him. Um, went to San Diego, met with Darren, and he had this small business for him. And on day two, he was like doing this marketing piece. And he gets up on stage and he's talking about, you know, emotion and marketing. And he says something that I'd heard, and I'm sure most people who are in sales and marketing business have heard, is that people buy emotionally and then they justify their purchase with logic. Okay. Well, when he said it, it just struck me like lightning. I was like, wait a minute, what emotions? Like what emotions move people to buy? You know, what emotions like keep people from buying? Like what, what is it that that's like stopping them from doing business with, with you? And so I start researching emotion and how emotions are generated, how many are there, what kinds, you know, all the gradients of emotion. And I stumbled on a body of research called evolutionary psychology and how evolutionary psychology links with emotions and, and then drives back into marketing is that one of the things about evolutionary psychology that's really interesting is that humans don't have instincts in the same way that animals do, you know, genetically encoded behaviors, but we have the vestiges of instincts, you know, so what I mean by genetically encoded, you know, geese fly south for the winter. They don't go east. They don't go west. They don't go on vacation to Hawaii. They go, they go south. You know, squirrels gather nuts for winter. The bears hibernate. You know, there's lots of genetically encoded behaviors. But with humans, we have free will, but we still have the vestiges of our instincts, our, our previous instincts. Okay. And these primal urges is what I'd name them. They still help drive in conjunction with emotions, all human behavior. And, and once I understood that and I went back and I looked at that client and I realized it was just clear as a bell what was wrong. You know, we were writing for search engines. We were writing blogs that were, weren't written for real people. They weren't emotional. They had no real heart in them. There's no insight. It was, you know, search engine optimized content, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if you've ever read a, a big company blog, <laughs> um, The Cure for Insomnia. And, and that's what we had done for this client. You know, we created a bunch of content for them that no one would ever read, even though it was professionally done and all the pictures were great. You know, it just wasn't good. If that makes sense. Um, and that led to the body of work, which became primal storytelling. I spent another two and a half, three years just testing and looking at and examining different kinds of emotions. And then I started to look at story structures. A primal urge that humans have is we love stories and stories are older than the invention of fire. You know, and if you 
look back over thousands and thousands of years, the same story structures are used over and over and over again in every culture, in every language. You know, if you probably have heard of like Little Red Riding Hood, right? Um, anthropologists identified Little Red Riding Hood as one of the oldest stories in history and the, you know, dozens of versions of it across, you know, dozens of cultures. And that story structure just works. And, and it works because it's a little girl who goes into the woods and she's warned there's monsters and the monsters, they might look like people. And then of course, you know, the good overcomes evil. You know, it's a story structure that just has stood the test of time. And we see these same structures in movies and TV and in the books that we read. You know, so if you've ever if you've ever watched Harry Potter, it's the same exact story structure as Lord of the Rings, as Star Wars, okay, as the Avengers. They're all the same story structure. They're all the same story. You know, where good is overcoming evil, and there's a long journey along that way. And what I thought was, what if we could take some of the most common story structures that we know speak to people's hearts and we can use those in our marketing. And that's where primal storytelling came from. So mm, I love that. And I love that it's marketing for humans versus uh, marketing for search engines. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's funny, you know, the search engine wars over the last 15 years, they've created a lot of really bad behavior across you know, companies and you, you see the same mistakes just repeated across entire industries. And, you know, everyone's sharing the news of the day. I, I think if, if I audit another company and they're publishing a quote of the day, I'm just, you know, I'm going to gouge out my eye. It's like the last thing on earth we need. Um, you know, there's 1.5 billion websites in the world and it's growing. And you know what? Most of them are publishing nothing of significance, nothing that anyone really a human being really wants to consume. So how do you get, how do you get through the noise? How do you get noticed? You create something that's valuable. That's how you, that's how it works. You write stories, you tell the story of your company from a human standpoint. Do you use, do you use LinkedIn at all? A little bit. A little bit. So one of the things that on LinkedIn, and this is a this is an absolute case study and exactly what I'm talking about is if you look at LinkedIn, people follow people. So maybe you follow your favorite celebrity or someone that you admire in your business or business associates and friends and family and people that you've worked with, that kind of thing. And then there's also company pages on LinkedIn and no one follows company pages on LinkedIn. Company pages don't get hardly any interaction. They don't get a lot of followers. They don't get traction. Because people don't want to follow some abstract, giant, faceless corporation. They want to connect with a real person. And it's interesting because every big business I talk to, they're like, oh, well, you know, our, our face is, our, our company is faceless. That's why, you know, we're, we're a big business. And I say to them, like, you know, but there's lots of people that work at your company, right? Like you guys aren't, you're not humanless. You're not running a, a company that's manned by robots yet. So let's, let's talk about them. Let's talk about your employees. Let's talk about the leadership team. That's who people follow. That's who people want to do business with. They want to do business with their friends. They want to do business with people they like. They want to do business with people who are human. Okay. We, we have enormous technology at our fingertips. 
And automation has helped in a lot of ways. They've made our lives easier, but it's also, in some cases, it's gone way too far where people just crave human human interaction. Hey, have you ever gone to a phone tree or some big company that you really loved and that you just, you're glad you spent 15, 20 minutes trying to press six and press five and press three to try to get to her. And the the whole time you're yelling into the phone, person, you know, associate, give me a person. Um, it, it, It comes down to, we want more human connection. And once you understand that and you start thinking about it deeply, and you focus on the tribe that you want to do business with and who they are and what drives them and what urges drive them and what emotions are driving them. And you focus on them, your marketing gets way easier and it becomes much, much more likely to scale in a way that returns an ROI that's ex- extraordinary. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. There's an old saying that says, people don't care how much you know. So they know how much you care. Um, yes, exactly. That's exactly it. That is right on the head. And, you know, it, it's that kind of a take when I, when I started approaching the book, you know, and I was, I, you know, I'm, I'm a blue collar guy. I was in the army. I was in the infantry before that I was a mechanic. I wanted to create a step-by-step system that if you ran a small business and you're doing the marketing yourself and you needed a structure, you could pick up that book, start with the first chapter and go right through chapter five, and you could implement a marketing strategy that would work. You know, and when I was putting it together, I was like, okay, now let's test each of the strategies. Let's test each of the structures. And I did that. I did all the work for you. You know, so you'll like, when you get in there, you'll notice, hey, this is not all the emotions. This is not all the story structures there are in the world. Well, I'm like, you're right. They're not. What I did is I just skimmed off the top, that top 20% that is really effective. There are other story structures. There are other emotions that you could use. But what I highlight in the book and the system that I lay out, those are the ones most likely to take off right away. So why would you try and reinvent the wheel? Just do what works. Absolutely. So the book, Primal Storytelling, Marketing for Humans, in addition to that, um, what kind of work do you do for humans? I help companies first determine the strategy, you know, and strategy always starts with one question. Who do you love? Who do you just love to do business with? Like who is the perfect client for you? And I I don't mean as an abstract, I mean, like who is your best client and like, why are they the best client? Who's the most profitable? Who are the clients that you hate? Like who are the, who are the people that you just don't want to do business with? You can't stand working with them. Okay, because once we differentiate and we start to understand who the core audience is, then what we can do is we can start to design messaging to connect with them on a human level. And I have a number of ways of doing that and a number of story structures that any business can use. And in the book, I I don't know if you had a chance to read through it at all. You know, I outline four stories, four core stories, I call them, that every business needs to tell. And then long-term, okay, what are the kinds of themes that you can use to, for content marketing, like to get attention, to grow your audience on social media, to connect, you know, lead magnets for your landing pages. You know, what is it that we can do that is going to cut through the noise of a billion plus websites that are, we're competing with 
if, if you started to look at YouTube on any given day, in a single hour, there's more content uploaded to YouTube than you could listen to and watch in 50 years. Okay. So, so what does that mean? It means that unless what you do is exceptional, you're, you're speaking to the wind. No one is going to see or hear anything that you do and no one is going to care, you know? And so it, it's interesting now this chat GPT thing is coming out. And they're like, Oh, this is going to change marketing as well. Guess what? I'm not afraid of chat GPT at all. If you go on and you look at the results, you, you look at what it's spitting out. It's spewing out facts and figures. It's not spewing any kind of insight. It's not, it, they, they didn't read the book. <laughs> the chat GPT is pre-primal storytelling. So they don't have any heart. There's nothing coming out of that that is really going to help people connect. So marketers are safe. Creative is still going to dominate. But I, I think what's really going to happen over the next 18 months, especially, is that as Google just starts to crack down on websites that just aren't valuable, those websites that are producing extraordinary content are going to reap all the rewards. You know, so those businesses that are going to have extraordinary growth over the next 18 months are going to be the ones that tell the best stories, that have the best emotional drive, and they can connect with the most people at a, at a primal level. Um, and, and this is not hard. Anyone can do it. Any business can do it. I just helped implement a primal storytelling program into a, a small construction company in Helena, Montana. Okay. It doesn't get any, it doesn't get any smaller than that. You know, a company of, you know, a few million dollars, about 20 employees and that a little tiny website. And just with a few tweaks, a few small stories, they immediately started getting more traffic. They immediately started getting more business. And you can do that at the micro level like that or with big clients that are have a national or an international look. Um, you know, companies that invest in content long-term are going to be the ones that really think deeply about their audiences and they look beyond about what they do and they stop talking just about what they do and they start in introducing content to their client base that's valuable for them, even if it has nothing to do with their core business. You know, so thought leadership programs, you know, training programs that are free, that are for clients, that are for new prospects. A really good example is one I love to use as an insurance company that kind of caters to the military. I don't know if you've ever heard of USAA. If you think about insurance, you know, what's the least interesting subject in the world? Insurance, right? Everyone, everyone has it, but no one really wants to talk about it. Um, they produce content for people who aren't clients of theirs. If you even thought you might want to go in the military someday, you can find a piece of content on USA's website about, hey, this is how you fat. Hey, if you're thinking about joining the military, here's how you can pass the physical fitness tests. Here's one for the Army. Here's one for Marines. Here's one for Air Force. Okay. They they have, you know, how to, how to study for tests, how to, once, once you're leaving the military, they have guides to help you transition out. They have guides for while you're in for do retirement planning. Like they look at every aspect of their clientele's life from cradle to the grave. It's, it's, it's one of the best examples of a company that I didn't work with directly that actually like they know what they're doing with content marketing in there. They have covered every aspect of it. It's a pretty amazing website, believe it or not. So, and, and I'm not endorsed by them. I'm just, I like their content. So I'm throwing it out there for you. Mm, I love it. 
Well, the book is called Primal Storytelling, uh, Marketing for Humans by Anthony L. Butler. You can get it on Amazon and any of the forms you can get books. Anthony, I really appreciate the content you've written here, um, and I do encourage everybody to go get it. Thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I just love that name, Primal Storytelling. I mean, how do you get down to the really basic gut instinct of the things that are about you and then share it with the world in that powerful, primal kind of way to make the difference that only you can make? What a way to live as a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write, publish, and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books, and now they're best-selling authors, and you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself and tell you, I know the world is waiting on your message. And I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskStevekid.com and schedule a time to talk today. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. My friends that know me know just how much I love this new intro. Um, And those of you that don't, you know, I used to be the lead singer in a Christian rock band many, many years ago. Um, And I really love music that just stirs your soul. It's part of my story. It's part of what I tell the world and what I bring to the world, even as I'm encouraging you here and helping you bring what you do to the world in a most powerful way. So next we want to talk about some of the things that we can do that show the world our story without even words. I I thought this was just the perfect connection to end things off for you today to really look at what does your story tell the world and how can you be a thriving entrepreneur in it. Join me in welcoming Carolyn Bolt. Hey Carolyn, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. How are you? I am doing really good, thanks. So first off, tell us just a little bit about you and how you show up in the world. Well, you said my name is Carolyn Bolt, and I'm the co-founder of a company called Crossfields, and we're an architectural interior firm that designs offices for holistic healthcare providers nationwide that want to elevate their success and save more lives. Now, some people are mildly, um, I don't know, aware of is probably the only way I can use it. Uh, Things like feng shui and different things like that and interior design. How is what you do similar to that? And how is it different from that? Um, It is similar in that feng shui focuses on the Your environment is, there's a psychology and environment. So feng shui kind of goes a direction to enhance that 
psychology, I'll say, and I'm not a feng shui expert. So that's about as much as I can tell you about it. But a lot of the principles of feng shui, I have done some study of it, are pretty universal understanding of your psychology of space and how you feel in the space. And interior design, interior architecture um, is, especially in the commercial field, is the practice of creating environments for a business that will help attract and retain patients and also be efficient and effective for what they're doing in the space. I love that. So now I could be showing my ignorance here, but as best as I understand it, there are two pretty different um, areas of interior architectural design. There are buildings which have already been built that you're then doing a remodel for, for whatever new business is moving in there. And then there's buildings that are being built from scratch. Do you do both of them or do you focus on one of those? No, we do. We do both of them. And, and our company is actually a full architectural firm. So we have actually designed and built buildings from the ground up also. Um, but our focus is in the smaller, when I say smaller, you know, under 10,000 square foot spaces. So it um, focuses on the, you know, doctor's practices, you would say. So, but we do both. And we also do what I call more the decorating where we'll have a doctor that really wants a facelift, that wants, um, maybe he's bought a practice and wants to keep it all the walls like they are and just wants it to look different or he's getting ready to sell it and he wants it to look better so he can make more money. Um, there's a lot of different reasons, but where we just do what most people would associate interior design with, which is the decorating part. So we do both the decorating and the architecture. When it comes to the architectural end of it, for you personally, um, not like there's any wrong answer here or anything, but for you personally, do you like a totally blank canvas where you um, have, you know, a building that's not even built and you can kind of tell the guys that are building the exterior, here's what I need in order for me to have this dream interior? Or do you like the challenge of having an already existing shell that you have to figure out how to make it then look the way you can see it in your mind? Wow, that's a, do I have to choose kind of question. I think that um, I have several designers that work for me and I think they would all probably give you a different answer. I know for me personally, because I really, really love architecture, I love the blank canvas. I love to be able to start from um, just the goals for the practitioner and help develop from there. I have another designer um, that works with me that really loves that, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines transformation. So she really loves to see how she can transform something that already exists. So, yeah, so I think it's a little bit of both. I love that. So when you're building a new building, in a perfect world, would you like to be able to if not completely, at least have a general idea of how you want the interior to be designed and then have them build the shell around it versus the way that most people think about it when when they think, you know, basic architecture? Oh, I love that question. That was a wonderful question, Steve, because yes, because we are a firm that focuses on the inside out, Yes, we want to focus on making that space flow and work for a client 
from the inside out, understanding that there's going to be parameters of the site that we're working with first, and then um, the design of the architecture begins to marry the needs of the inside. Does that make sense, what I just said? It absolutely does. Oh, yeah. Now, I want to be clear for the people listening. I am not an architect at all, but one of my... Um, I'm going to call it guilty pleasures as I love graph paper and drawing things, oh, mostly uh, interior houses and stuff like that. Um, my question for you, Carolyn, would be, you know, it's just me now. You know, I mean, I, all, my kids are all grown. I'm not married to the woman I was. Uh, why do I still always end up designing something that's at least four or 5,000 square feet? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We'd have to dig into all your needs. You must see that you need these different spaces in these rooms to do different functions, right? Do you have different functions and things that you're trying to do as opposed to multi-purpose spaces? Well, and, and I do work from home. So, you know, I always end up with this, first of all, lavish and elaborate bedroom and then a, a separate office space. And then I start thinking, well, you know, it'd be nice to have a conference room if I ever want to have people in, or maybe, maybe I want to do conference videos and not do them for my office. And it just, you know, it just kind yes. of grows from there. And then next yes. thing you know, like, you're like, well, and there should be a room for this person and that person. And then I started thinking about my mom and, you know, I should just make a space for her. And, and like I don't said, think, I don't soon, think four or 5,000 is big enough based on everything you just told me. Right. Well, like I said, four or 5,000 <laughs> ends up being the small ones. And then people look at it and they're like, it's just you. I mean, why do you need that? It's like, well, I don't know. It just looked right. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's a fun, that's a fun venture. One of the things we do with our clients is we, um, we have six steps. We call it our six step signature process. And the first step is really identifying how many square feet you need before you ever go look for space. So um, that's exactly what you just described. And often, very, very often, um, the number at the bottom is much larger than they really want to build or they really think they can afford or, and, you know, of course it's a business venture. So they have to start thinking about, am I don't want to cut any spaces that would create revenue. So you have to think through that, but with what you're saying, you know, that that's a real typical, it's always a little bit bigger than you ever thought it was going to be. Oh, good. I'm glad to know that I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> no, you're not at all. You're not at all. Oh, that's cool. So um, form and function. Yes. Um, and there's always mm. that uh, disconnect between the form people and the function people. Um, explain for people that are listening what the difference between form and function is and which one, at least in your opinion, is more important. Wow, that's that's wonderful that you asked me that too. You sure you didn't look me up? Um, so we adhere to the philosophy of form follows function. And I'll explain that a little bit more. So function is the way the space works, the way the, um, how much square footage you need, how many rooms you need, how they're gonna be connected together, uh, what actually is gonna be in the spaces themselves. And then that has to do with, it has to work. So form follows function. To me, they're not separated, they're connected. and if they're not connected, I don't think you get a cohesive, holistic design. So, but we always start with the function. 
The form is the three-dimensional space, what most people would think of as the aesthetics or the architecture. And that is married beautifully if you focus on the function first and you can marry the form connected to it. But they're, in my opinion, it's a very, very closely designed together or it doesn't turn out well. <laughs> so for people that are listening that are essentially looking at designing a new space, especially doctors, what is the one thing that you're constantly talking to clients about that you wish they either would stop wanting or they would have already known before you started the session? Um, well, the the main message that we have is for people to understand that their space, when it's completely designed, should be making you money. And meaning that the elements that you put in it, the way it flows, it's a business venture. So it is a, it does cost money to design a space. It does cost money to build out a space, et cetera. But that money, if used wisely, can actually make you money by by increasing your maximizing your flow in your space or and or should do both, which comes back to that form follows function, it should be attracting at your ideal patient and retaining your ideal patient. So think about retail design and hospitality design. Those spaces are designed very purposely to be cohesive with what they're selling. And if there's a disconnect, then they usually are not doing really well. So just the awareness that doctors can understand that there is a return on investment for a quality office design. I love that so much. So uh, for people that are listening, uh, what kind of people do you prefer to work with? I know you said doctors, but if you want to be more specific than that, and at what point in the process of thinking they need to either move into a new space or remodel the one they're in or whatever, at what point should they engage with you? So that's great. So the, I, our ideal client is the holistic integrated practice world. So we got started um, without going into a long story. We got started through designing for chiropractors. We were doing work at life university here in the Atlanta area and got in, engaged with the business of chiropractic and the the community, the culture, all of those things of chiropractic. We were also chiropractic patients and had amazing success. Uh, my daughter was healed of tonsillitis at two through chiropractic. So we were already holistic patients. And we saw a need for more people to accept more, more potential patients to look at with more respect to the chiropractor and with more respect to all our alternative healthcare and to consider that a option. It's definitely an option of choice as opposed to a have to. Um, so we just really felt like we needed to help save more lives by elevating this option for people and giving these this a better name and a better vision. So that is our sweet spot. It's the alternative healthcare, the physical therapy, the things that are not mainstream uh, medical as much. Uh, there's plenty of designers out there doing main, mainstream medical. So we just felt like this profession needed its own focus. So that's what we do. 
And your business is in the Atlanta area. Do you pretty well just work in in and around Atlanta or do you go anywhere or what is the boundaries of where you work? Well, what the other thing that's very unique besides this unique niche that we're in is everything we do is virtual, everything. So we realized when we um, began to, so we developed the chiropractic office design side uh, while we were also doing design build in the Atlanta area. And we knew that there were not enough chiropractors in the Atlanta area to, to make a business. So we knew we needed to figure out how to go nationwide. And now we're able to go basically worldwide as long as the time zones aren't an issue. But we knew we had to figure out how to do it virtually. So we did in 2012, before it was a thing, <laughs> we, uh, we did it a lot with um, pictures and words and uh, communication, phone communication while things were going on before we had virtual. And then of course, once we had virtual, that was a game changer for us as far as virtual meetings. So we do it all virtual. So we can do, we can go anywhere. We have no boundaries. And for the person who would like to contact you, how do they get in contact with you? So everything you'd ever want to know about us on, it's on this website called Crossfields Design. And the reason I say that is it really literally started out as a blog of education. And so there's lots and lots of resources on there that we invite people to um, adventure through and learn from. But crossfieldsdesign.com is our website. And we have we do free consultations for those docs that are interested our practitioners would do um you know anything that's associated kind of stay in that holistic healthcare mode so we'll work with med spas and we'll work with gyms and wellness kind of practices um so anyone that's interested in doing that we have that free complimentary consultation and that's that's pretty much blatant on every single page. If our website people did it right, <laughs> that you can get to us there. We also have a um, free resource for your listeners. And that's, uh, we have a, a booklet that we created called the five point designer checklist. And it's intentionally written to be a checklist for someone that just needs to say, hey, I need a, a refresh what are the five things I need to look at? And it starts as simple as, do I need to declutter? So, but we really just created it just for the practitioner that just knows they need a, a little boost. So that you can find that at crossfieldsdesign.com forward slash listeners. And you can download that free booklet. That's perfect. I love it. Well, Carolyn, thanks so much for spending some time with us here on the show today. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I think that really brings it all together. We talk about our own story and what we are, um, you know, saying to the world from the experiences we have. And then we talk about how do we tell our story? What do we tell the world about the experiences that we had? And then lastly, we talk about our environment. We talked about how the way we present ourselves, our office, our dress, our words, everything, how that presents us to the world as well. I think that was just a really great combination to help you take a look at what does your story tell the world? What are you saying to the world? What do you want to say about it? And I'm not saying that means you need to go out and change your wardrobe. The likelihood is um, 
and I was thinking about this the other day when somebody was going on and on about, um, you know, the way a person should or shouldn't talk in a video that they were doing. And I realized the truth of the matter is, is rather than trying to stick people in a box based on our story, what we should be doing is seeing a person be comfortable. Now, there's such a thing as being too comfortable. I get that. I understand. Uh, you know, you don't have to send me email. I, I understand fully the fact that you need to present yourself as a professional. You need to look a certain way. Um, you know, there's times and places to groom yourself and to and to bathe and those kind of things just to be a citizen of the world but there's also that part of who you are and how you do your hair and the clothes you wear and how comfortable you can be in your own skin that becomes some of the most powerful parts of your story. I remember a whole lot of years ago, um, oh gosh, this was probably 10 or 15 years ago now, um, I was listening to a guy that was a speaker trainer, and he was going on and on and on about filler words. And go feel free to go back and listen to everything that I've said in this episode and count all the filler words. People will use ands and ums and buts and pause kind of things to try to figure out what they're going to say next, even if they know exactly what they're going to say next. And he was really being harsh about it. Um, and it bothered me. And I didn't know why then, because I hadn't really taken any time on it. I went back and I began to look at some of the most highly paid professional journalists, which is who we typically think of when we're looking at really being good on camera and articulate and those kind of things. And you begin to catch how many times they say, um, or they stop and they think, or they'll just totally mess up and they'll laugh through it and move on. Because at some point you get to the place where you just are okay with yourself, that the story you tell to you is the story that you tell to the world because you are uniquely brilliant you were created for a purpose and the world needs you. You don't need to put on anything other than just the you that's you show up in the morning as that amazing person that you already are and live every day of your life as a thriving entrepreneur. Until we're together again next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. Hi, my name is Steve Kidd. I am a third-generation minister, an international best-selling author of multiple books, and I help people write publish and market their books to bestseller. In fact, there are literally thousands of people that have used the system that I created to be able to write, publish, and market their books. And now they're best-selling authors. And you're next. I just wanted to come on for a minute, say hi to you, tell you a little bit about me, introduce myself, and tell you, I know the world is waiting on your message. And I would be so honored to be part of sharing your message with the world. Go to AskSteveKid.com and schedule a time to talk today.